Thanks for tuning in to Over the Road Bible, a podcast from TFC Global. I'm your host, John Coupel, and I'm TFC Global's Denver area chaplain. Over the past few years, I've been a pastor, overseas missionary, and chaplain, and I love to learn and teach the Bible. When I learned about the challenges that truckers and professional drivers face here in America, like loneliness, isolation, addictions, and everything else that's rampant in the industry, I decided to become a chaplain with TFC Global to make an impact in people's lives. This podcast is for anyone who wants to listen, but I'm making it with professional drivers in mind. In our time together each week, we'll read and study the Bible in a short form that can be listened to on the road or on a break at a truck stop. I'll also do my best to let you know about resources to help you get plugged in to Christian community on the road. If this podcast is a blessing to you, I would love for you to share it with others so that it can be a blessing for them too. Hi, and welcome back to the podcast and our study through the Gospel of John. In the last episode, we looked at Jesus' second sign, which was back while he was in Cana of Galilee. Both signs so far have been on the north end of Israel, and the passage that we're going to read today follows Jesus back to the southern end of of the country as he goes back to Jerusalem for another feast. So we're going to take a look at the third sign that Jesus does and the response of the Jews. So let's read... John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. TFC Global offers chaplaincy services to trucking companies all around the U.S. and internationally. Chaplains give drivers people to talk to who genuinely care about the challenges they face and can provide them with spiritual, mental, and emotional health resources. We also offer addiction recovery resources through Celebrate Recovery and sexual health through the Gateway to Freedom Foundation. To find out if there's a chaplain in your area who can provide these resources to your company, 
contact the TFC Global office at 717-426-9977 or email us at info at tfcglobal.org to let us know how we can serve you. So this chapter begins with Jesus traveling south back to Jerusalem because there is another feast going on. If you've been following along since the beginning of our study through John, you'll remember that I talked about the three feasts that every man in Israel was supposed to travel to Jerusalem and celebrate, and they called these the pilgrimage feasts. They were Passover, the Feast of Weeks, which is also called Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths, which is also called Tabernacles. So John doesn't tell us here which feast Jesus is traveling for. Uh, back in chapter 2, when Jesus cleared out the money changers in the temple, he was there for Passover. And if we look ahead to chapter 6, verse 4, we see Jesus back in Galilee, and John tells us that the Passover is at hand, which means that it's coming up. So maybe the feast that Jesus is in Jerusalem for here in chapter 5 is between these two Passovers, which would make it maybe Pentecost or maybe Booths. Maybe I'm getting too bogged down in the details because John, remember, he's not writing a synoptic gospel like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and he's already gone out of order in telling Jesus' story as we saw in chapters 1 and 2. So it could be that John is actually not maintaining the order of events, and that could be to show the signs of Jesus potentially in a specific order that John had in mind as he was uh, planning to write this book. Anyway, once Jesus gets to Jerusalem, he goes to a pool in the city called Bethesda. Another name for this is Bethsaida, uh, which is more closely related to its Hebrew uh, roots with bet in Hebrew meaning house and tzedek in Hebrew being mercy or, uh, or love. So around this pool at uh, Bethsaida, there was a whole bunch of sick people sitting around the pool. So I read this in the ESV, which is the English Standard Version. One of the verses that's included in other versions was left out. This doesn't mean that we can't trust what we're reading or that the ESV is changing it. What it does mean, the ESV makes it a footnote at the bottom of the page for us to read. It does that because verse 4 is included in a bunch of later manuscripts that we have, but it was left out of some of the earliest manuscripts that we have. This could be because maybe John didn't actually write this verse, but it could have been added later by scribes who were copying the text over and over again before there were printers. These texts were copied by hand, and it could be that as time passed and traditions changed, that people wouldn't understand the story of why folks were gathering around this pool. And so it was possible that this was added at a later time by scribes who were copying the story to explain uh, kind of the historical cultural context of what was going on here at the pool. And so if I include the verse that was left out by the ESV Bible, this is how it reads. And so this is, I'm going to read starting in verse 3 into verse 4, which the ESV left out. It says, In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. 
So you see how that sort of explains the situation of, of the belief that was going on there at the pool. That's why I say it's possible that it was added at a later date to provide later readers who weren't familiar with the area, like us, with some cultural context about why people would have been gathered there. It's an interesting exclusion to have in the earliest texts and have added to later manuscripts. And I've heard some teachers uh, suppose about this angel of the Lord that stirred up the water that it was a demon doing this to the pool to trick people or maybe to gain worshipers. And I've heard others who thought that this was a wives tale because it's not mentioned anywhere else in scripture that this pool had healing properties. In fact, John's gospel is the only account of this healing at the pool of Bethsaida. So whether it was an angel healing people by stirring up the water or whether it was some demonic spiritual being that was tricking people or maybe a natural hot spring or even a made-up wives tale, whatever it was, people gathered around this pool hoping for a change of fates. Even the name of the pool represents what it meant to those who needed healing. I said it was from the Hebrew words bet, meaning house, and seda, or, or Bethsaida, it's house of mercy. And so even the, the, the name of the pool uh, represented what it meant to the people who were around there. Uh, this man who was at the pool, he was looking for physical healing, and definitely that's what he gets from Jesus. But it seems like he understood and the, the people who would gather around this pool understood that what they were really looking for was mercy. And it seems that Jesus throughout this story kind of grasps onto that idea of not just physical healing, but actually this man receiving mercy. And that's going to be used to teach him uh, that spiritual lesson that Jesus has continually, as we've seen, using these uh, common physical ideas to teach people spiritual things. So Jesus finds the man at this pool and he says, do you want to be healed? And this guy, knowing the tradition of how the pool works, he's sad because he isn't going to have healing available to him because he can never win the race to the water when it's stirred up. Someone else always gets down to the water before him. This guy has been there for a long time. John told us he's been sitting there for 38 years and he's never been healed because he doesn't have the ability to get to the water. He doesn't have anyone to put him in the water. So it kind of seems like not only is he uh, an invalid, he's lame, but also he doesn't have any friends. So I think the, the picture that we kind of get of this person is that he is as hopeless as anyone could possibly be because not only is he sick and unable to get healed, but also he has no friends. So maybe uh, what the man would have expected is that if Jesus was a helpful person, he might have offered to get him into the water next time the water was stirred up. That's not what Jesus does though. What Jesus does is he tells him to get up pick up his bed and walk. And remember, this man has not been able to do that for 38 years. So Jesus is telling him to do something that within his own power is literally impossible. But immediately the man is able to do what Jesus said to do. Jesus healed the man just with words. He said something and it became reality. So I don't know about your life experience, but creating reality with only words has never happened to me. Uh, this is something completely out of the ordinary and supernatural. 
in the Jewish mind, for these folks who grew up with the Old Testament, uh, because of course the New Testament hadn't been written yet, so to them the Bible or Scripture was just the Old Testament, there was one who created things with words, and it was the Lord when he created the world in Genesis 1. So think back to the famous line, let there be light. Uh, God created just by speaking. There were other examples like in the prophets of Elijah uh, who would speak the word of God and and uh, there, there's all sorts of stories around them like um, calling down fire from heaven. So in the mind of this Jewish man, Jesus' ability to speak and heal the man with nothing but words, it ties him to the God of creation in the Old Testament as well as these Old Testament prophets, or in other words, if I can say it this way because it ties into our study of John so far, what Jesus is doing by healing with nothing but words is giving a sign that points from the Old Testament messianic prophecies directly to himself. So uh, what's the problem here in the story? Well, when Jesus did this, it just happened to be on the Sabbath. And some Pharisees, they observed this man uh, who had picked up his bed and was walking home for the first time in 38 years. You know, it's not like he was at the pool for a week. It's not like he had eaten some bad sushi and was dealing with food poisoning. Like this guy had not walked for 38 years and here he is carrying his bed home. And what do the Pharisees do? They stop him and question why he's doing the labor of carrying his bed. They're completely ignoring the miracle that just took place in this guy's life. And by the way, the pool of Bethsaida is not far from the temple. It's just a little bit north uh, in Israel from the Temple Mount. And so it's not like they would have never seen this guy if he had been sitting at the pool for 38 years. They probably recognized him. He probably had begged outside the temple before to make money because he couldn't work since he was lame. This guy would have been recognizable within society at the time. They see him carrying his bed and they don't consider even for a moment that he wasn't able to do that just yesterday, let alone 38 years ago. And they seem to not even care about that fact. They only are, are caring about this legalistic mindset that they have. Why is this guy doing the labor of carrying his bed on the Sabbath? And they come to him and they question, they start asking him the questions, who told you you could carry your bed? It wasn't who healed you. It wasn't what a miracle that's taking place right before our eyes. It's who told you you could carry your bed on the Sabbath. You see the legalism uh, that's taking place in the Pharisees. And the man, uh, at first he didn't know who healed him because John tells us that Jesus had left the place because there was a crowd there. And he doesn't give us any more information than that. So we don't really know what Jesus's motivation was for not being in a crowd outside of maybe that he just didn't like crowds that much. And if I can be honest, and, and maybe a lot of you can relate, I think that's probably the most relatable thing I know about Jesus is that he doesn't like crowds. Um, that is something that I can really get behind. <laughs> later on, um, we don't know how long later, because 
remember that John is not worried about telling us the story in order. The man who was healed run in, uh, runs into Jesus in the temple. Jesus sees him, recognizes him, and says, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now that statement could be taken a couple of ways. It could be that Jesus is saying that the reason the man was lame in the first place was because of his sin, uh, but I'm not sure that's totally what Jesus meant. Of course, with the first sin in Genesis 3 came the curse along with uh, sickness and death. So ultimately, like yes, sickness is the result of sin, but we can't say that every time someone gets sick, it's because they sinned. We have no idea why this guy was lame, it, I don't think this is an indicator that it was the result of sin. Most sicknesses come from living in a world with sickness in it. It comes from living in a broken and imperfect world. You know, we, we get a, a cold or flu from someone who had it and accidentally spread it around, usually without even knowing uh, that they were sick. So what is Jesus really getting at when he says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you? I think what he's saying is he's telling this guy that he's getting a second chance at life. And Jesus is telling him not to waste it. Not everyone gets a second chance. Not even everyone who was at the pool of Bethsaida that day got a second chance. And Jesus is telling this guy basically like, don't waste the second chance that I'm giving you. Okay, so... What does the man do next? Does he use the second chance or does he waste the second chance? So let's take a look. The very next thing he does in the story is he goes to the Pharisees, the same guys who were questioning about why he was carrying his bed on the Sabbath. They didn't care about his healing. They didn't care about this life-changing event that um, just affected his entire life and well-being. They only cared about the legalism of him carrying the bed on the Sabbath. He goes to them and he says, hey, I figured out who it was that healed me. Remember you were asking me about that before? Who told me that I could pick up my bed on the Sabbath? I figured out who it was. He goes to those people and, and he tells them that. He, he says it's Jesus. He's like literally ratting out Jesus for healing him after being an invalid for 38 years. He goes to the Pharisees and he goes, it was Jesus who told me I could carry my bed on the Sabbath. And so how do the Pharisees respond? Well, um, John tells us that because Jesus was doing things on the Sabbath, it's why the Pharisees were persecuting him. And so Jesus' response to the persecution of the Pharisees is to say this, My father is working until now, and I am working. Did he say that to them that day in the temple when he ran into the man that he healed at the pool or was it later? Like John is really not clear here because the Pharisees in John's story never actually say anything to Jesus. Jesus responds to their persecution with that statement. And so it's like John is maybe recording a response from Jesus to the Pharisees, but in this story, you know, like I say, the Pharisees never actually said anything to Jesus. So was this kind of a general response that John heard Jesus say maybe even multiple times throughout uh, the life and ministry of Jesus as he was dealing with uh, the Pharisees? So then in the next verse, we learn that because Jesus was making himself equal to the Father, the Pharisees were seeking to kill him. 
And he says, even more they were seeking to kill him, but we never knew they sought to kill him before. This is the first time John mentions that. And in fact, we're not even going to see it again until two chapters from now in chapter 7. So at the end of John's story here with Jesus in Jerusalem, things are really kind of getting out of order right now. And it's just a reminder that John isn't trying to tell his story synoptically from beginning to end like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but he's ordering his events to show that Jesus is the Messiah who was prophesied in the Old Testament. He showed us that Jesus healed the man at the pool in the same way that God created the world in Genesis 1 by speaking to display the relationship between the Father and the Son, but it's because of Jesus showing that relationship that the Pharisees want Jesus dead but we haven't really gotten there yet. John's sort of going out of order. So finally, let me say the healing at the pool of, uh, of Bethsaida is thought to be the third sign of John by most scholars of this topic, even though John didn't explicitly point out whether anyone believed or didn't believe as the result of what Jesus did, we can look at the responses of the man and the responses of the Pharisees and get a pretty good idea. So the man who was healed, he never seemed to respond in faith to Jesus. Instead, he went to the Pharisees, who were only seeking harm for Jesus, and ratted him out. The Pharisees sought to kill Jesus as a result of what he was doing, and so it's pretty clear that they don't believe in the signs that he's doing. So despite this chapter providing the reader with evidence that Jesus is the Old Testament Messiah, the people in the story didn't respond positively. As we move forward into the next parts of chapter 5, we're going to see what else Jesus has to say to the Pharisees who are against him and don't take him to be the Messiah. Thank you for listening to Over the Road Bible, a teaching podcast from TFC Global. I hope this has been an encouragement and blessing for you. If you'd like to support this podcast and TFC Global Chaplaincy Services in Denver, please follow the PayPal link in the description below to donate. Tune in next week and we'll keep studying through the Gospel of John. Thank you for the work you do on the road. God bless you.